Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Happy Wednesday night. Hopefully you're able to join us for the NBA cast earlier. Dallas and New Orleans, as I speak right now, I have no idea how that turned out because we're actually recording this during the day. Want to remind you, check out Hollinger and Duncan. We did our coach rankings this week. That was a lot of fun, getting a lot of good commentary on that. We're also doing a Western Conference 15 and 60 mailbag on Sunday night. Tweets have gone out for that. So if you've got some questions, you can uh, look on uh, my Twitter account at Nate Duncan NBA if for some reason you aren't following me yet and respond to that thread. Get your question in. We, we uh, I mean, we probably did at least. 40 questions or so uh on the last 15 and 60 pod danny anything that you got going on we gotta tell the people about before we get started here i had a piece for the athletic talking about the 2021 for aging class and the unusual dynamic that all almost all of the top players if not all of them should be heavily favored to go back where they are and yeah. so that that's a big difference between this class and some of the other ones and so I, I kind of posited uh, towards the end that I think one of the most interesting things that I talked about this with Rob Mahoney for last week's Real Jam Radio, if you haven't listened to it, about what might swing some of those is if some of these young guys on these teams like Luca and, and Zion, who we're going to watch as we record this later tonight, whether those guys are so damn good a year from now that these some of these star players go, I'd rather look to the future than look to the present. Yeah, and continuing in that theme, this is going to be a first-time podcast here. What we want to do is... We've been getting a lot of messages, talking questions in the 15 and 60 of talking about some young players who are making some surges here. And a lot of these players have opportunities, whether because the veterans have been traded away, whether because these teams are trying to develop or just because they're good players to really solidify a role. I think what we're calling this is uh, young guys with something to prove. And so this isn't going to be guys who are already solidly in rotations who are clearly going to be a big part of their team's future it's more about guys who are going to have a chance to solidify their role over this last month and a half or so of the regular season and say to their management no you don't need to get someone else at this position you can count on me i've earned a rotation role for next year so we want to take a look at who has those opportunities what they're going to need to do to prove to their organizations that they've got their position locked down as they plan for next season yeah and there there are a couple different ways that this manifests itself for some it's a spot in the rotation so you don't need to go after somebody for the minimum or with the mid-level exception to fill that role or that position and then for others it's a spot potentially in the starting lineup you know it's the team that has an opening and that player has the opportunity to prove you don't need to sign somebody else I've got this and in other ones you know there are a couple I think including some that we'll talk about relatively early where we don't know exactly where it's going to go but that gives them an opportunity to establish it and I don't want to name names because we're going to get into those very very soon yeah so what we're going to do I took the east Danny took the west and we're just going to alternate here we each picked one player from uh, our assigned teams to talk about and I'm going to begin at the bottom of the Eastern Conference 
with Washington and Troy Brown Jr. And John Wall is going to be coming back next year. They're going to be trying to establish themselves in the Eastern Conference playoff picture once more. And Troy had a pretty nice run in January for a time, especially when they had Bertans and Hachimura out. He was getting a lot more reps. But his playing time has waned some of late, and he hasn't played more than 21 minutes in his last eight games, hasn't scored more than 11 points in his last eight games. And so John Wall is going to be their one. Bradley Beal is going to be their two. They're presumably going to bring back Bertans. Hachimura is also at the four. They are going to have their full mid-level exception available. And so the question becomes, can he prove that no, I should be in the mix really as at the three. And to me, it starts with, is he going to be able to defend well enough? I mean, he's has always kind of been an on-ball player with some good feel. He's improved his finishing of late, which had been a struggle for him early on in his career, but the three-point shooting has never been too amazing. And as of this writing, he's at 33%, which is okay, right? Like one of those two things to me though, Danny, is going to have to get better. He's either going to have to get a little bit better at, as an off-ball player to start for them, or he's going to have to really be proof capable of guarding some of the best guys uh, and even make some plays in help defense, given some of their defensive issues here going forward. Yeah, I agree on that. And adding John Wall to this mix next season changes how much the Wizards need somebody on ball, especially in the starting five. You know, the the lineup is going to change a lot. And so Brown, to establish himself, needs to be able to do something else. And, you know, maybe you can get into the, like, Will Barton doesn't have the ball in his hands all the time, but can, can function in that. And the positional scarcity at the three does work in Brown's favor, as well as the Wizards not having a ton of flexibility. But that's why it's an important decision, because Washington, Tommy Shepard, they don't have a lot of team building tools to work from this summer. And so whether they use that on a, on a three, you know, they're going to spend on Davis Bertans, presumably. So that is that is a really important one. Uh, the one that I want to turn to a lot of these players, justifiably so, because remember, this is the combination of not only the motivation, but also the opportunity, because there are a lot of guys who would love to have it, but we don't, we can't guarantee they're going to play. This is one who has it on a playoff team, and that's Michael Porter Jr. And Denver is definitely going to make the playoffs, but they have major decisions to make this summer at power forward position, but you could think about the forward slots more broadly. And, you know, Porter missed his his first season after being drafted due to, due to that back injury. And so for me, he's trying to prove his overall offensive fit. Is he so dynamic that you just have to have him on the floor? And is he capable enough defensively that he can work in lineups that matter, you know, with Jokic or, or anything else? And if Porter can do one or both of those, then the decision-making for Tim Connolly changes. And then, you know, they have Paul Millsap, who's hitting free agency. And if Jeremy Grant declines his player option, they might think about that differently if Porter looks like he could step up, even if it's not necessarily immediate. But remember, the Nuggets have high expectations, so they'll handle it differently than a young team who might just say, oh, we'll just give Porter the job. Yeah, and he's got to prove that he can play next to Nikola Jokic, which is not an alignment we've seen a ton of yet. And well, I realize that they are fighting for playoff position. We're probably not going to get a chance to see that much. You know, he comes in off the bench. Recently, really hasn't been playing more than, you know, he's getting some games where he's just getting that first half stint. Uh, if he is playing generally uh, more than about 13 minutes, that's in a blowout. Uh, he's shown some rim protection, but overall his on-off numbers are atrocious. 
part of that is because Paul Millsap has been such a stud. Millsap has one of the best net ratings in the NBA. Uh, and so the defense is always going to look better when Millsap comes off the floor. But yeah, I mean, to me, the offensive stuff is nice. I think he already has shown the skill set that can really help them, but it's whether he can stay on the floor defensively. And, you know, Grant, they presumably they'll bring back one of Millsap and Grant, but maybe the price gets too high on either of those guys. And if he can just show a little bit more, then it, he could get into that mix to start for them next year. Um, so you had no one on Dallas, right? I assume that's why you skipped them. Well, I was going, I went in terms of priority as well. Oh, okay. And, but, but yeah, but yeah, I, I don't have anybody for Dallas. I mean, you can make an argument for Justin Jackson, but I'm not quite. I'm not quite there, especially because Dallas has these high expectations. I don't, I don't think he's going to have the opportunity necessarily or necessarily have the opportunity next year. Toronto, we don't spend as much time on this one. Chris Boucher, he's going to be a restricted free agent. You would imagine that they can bring him back. Uh, on an, a pretty reasonable price, you know, something along the lines of like Kem Birch money, you know, a two-year, $6 million deal. They should be able to hold his price down. I don't see anybody really going after him. He is older, too, uh, at 27. And with Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, both free agents, maybe you could see both of those guys coming back on one-year deals, depending on how this season ends. But uh, the Raptors aren't going to want to spend more than a one-year deal, likely with their 2021 cap space aspirations. For Boucher, maybe he could get more than a one-year deal because it'll be such low money, it won't matter. But uh, he's going to have chances and has had chances so far with Gasol out to prove enough where Masai Ujiri is going to say, all right, we got at least backup center lockdown. He's probably always going to be too skinny to be your long-term starter, but he's the guy shooting only 29% from three, did hit a big one last night as they beat the Suns in Phoenix. He had to come in for OG Ananobi late after he fouled out. Can he get a little bit better with his decision-making offensively? Can he hold up in post-defense, get a little better at rotations? Those are things that they're going to be looking for with him. And the the uncertainty with Toronto is, is so so different, you know, that they could bring back Gasol, Ibaka, both, neither, you know, anything there. And so Boucher's opportunity this year could really affect his opportunity for next year, which is something I'm looking at. And that's also true for the next player I want to talk about. And Minnesota has a bunch of players that I think you that qualify under this due to the the changeover that they had you know they have more minutes up for grabs and some of that is established players too I mean I, I, other than D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns I think there's a lot of playing time and roles in flux for next year so I mean you could make an argument for Malik Beasley I think he's establishing himself pretty well and you could make an argument for Naz Reed though I think once Carl Anthony Towns comes back that clarifies a little bit so I want to focus on Juancho Hernan Gomez Hernan Gomez is playing 29 minutes per game started every single game since he came back from Minnesota and what he's trying to prove not only only to Minnesota, but really to the entire rest of the league, is that he can be, at bare minimum, a high-end rotation player, ideally a starter on a, on a decent team. And that is important to Minnesota. They have match rights, and they could do something, or to another team in the league. Because remember that for a pending restricted free agent, getting leverage by having other teams interested in you is so important to actually getting value and getting the role you want. And so if Minnesota can back Burner Herner Gomez and can rely on the process, then he won't get as good a spot in the pecking order next year. Yeah, teams are going to be looking at how well can he switch defensively. I mean, he's not really going to be in a position to succeed defensively necessarily. And Minnesota, too, they're probably thinking, hey, we got Carl Towns, we got D'Angelo Russell, we desperately need some defense here. And, you know, are they going to bring him? Are they going to view him? I think they'll probably, he'll be on the team next year. I would be surprised if he gets a, an offer sheet, but. 
are they just thinking of him as kind of a backup wing? Can he move his feet well enough? Can he rebound well enough? They've had some games that have been some pretty ugly rebounding games, which was supposed to be one of his strengths. Um, and obviously Malik Beasley as well, but I think Beasley is playing well enough that it's pretty clear to me that he's going to have a, a major role and it's probably going to start at the two for them next year, you would think. And this is actually, we can talk about this too, as we go through of, you know, who are the comparable guys that they might be looking at in free agency that they have to theoretically outplay, right? We're talking about Troy Brown. Like, is Washington going to say, ah, you know, we'd actually be better going after like a Glenn Robinson the third to start at the three instead of Troy Brown? So it's important to keep in mind of, you know, what, and obviously not every team can get exactly who they want in free agency, but what kind of theoretical player that might be available with the team building tools that are available, are they going to have to outplay to, to get this type of rotation spot? Um, Matisse Seibel is the guy for me in Philly. And yeah, I would agree. Does he continue to shoot the three as well as he has? And well, and obviously so much depends too on what happens with Al Horford you know, and Joel Embiid in the playoffs. Does it look like those guys can play together a little bit more? Horford seems like a trade candidate. But the other potential trade candidate is Josh Richardson. Richardson has one year left before he goes into a player option. He will almost certainly decline, if healthy, making about $11 million a year. And so would they say, hey, we're okay trading Josh Richardson? You know, one of the trades that, that du jour that people have really been talking about is like, Josh Richardson for Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm not sure that happens just due to the personal aspects of Dinwiddie having recruited those guys there, but that's sort of a trade where normally you'd say the wing position, the three and D is maybe a little bit more valuable, but Philly needs that ball handler and they'd feel so much more comfortable doing that if they can have Thibel step up he shows maybe in the playoffs that he can guard one-on-one a little bit better than we've seen he is a great help defender and that he can hit shots and reliably attack closeouts i think that opens up to have him on that cheap contract you're like yes this guy can start for us going into next year that changes so much of what they can do to reshape this team should it prove necessary also, I mean, Philly just has so few avenues to improve that opening up anything makes it more flexible for Ellen Brandon. Now, Ellen Brandon is the guy who chose to put this roster to- together, the finishing touches, the way that he did. So circumstances dictated parts of it. And so he might not be as enthusiastic about changing it around as, as you and I are at moments in time. But Tybal, who Brand moved up to get, and you know, that they got leveraged because everybody knew who Ellen Brand wanted. That's there. The next team I want to talk about is Phoenix. For me, this guy is Cam Johnson. We actually talked about him a little bit yeah. on, on Tuesday night's pod and cam johnson's defensive potential is exceedingly important because phoenix has this influx front court rotation and if johnson i mean we know his shooting is going to be there i mean the, the the mechanics look great there he's confident in it but is cam johnson a starter soon is he a you know 20 minute a game piece of the rotation is he more, more on the lower end than that with dario Saric's pending free agency the, and the the ripple effects of Saric is that if they clear him if, if the suns clear his hold off the books theoretically then they can go after bigger fish and i i would recommend that they do that anyway but whether cam johnson has one of those front court spots lined up is something that we will actually i think we'll have a pretty good chance of learning and the suns also i mean they're gonna have another opportunity on the back line elia kobo ty jerome i think ty jerome's the heavy leader for a bunch of different reasons at the backup point guard spot but cam johnson's the most important so he gets the the slot here 
yeah i mean to me i don't think there's anything that a kobo or jerome can do to say we're not going to draft a point guard i mean the, the this draft being such a point guard heavy draft being pretty low on bigs at the top and then even lower on wings uh, that's that's something to keep in mind here also uh, that th- these point guards uh, you got a lot to prove to not get someone drafted over you um yeah and i agree with you i mean i think with phoenix with this 20 million in cap space they're one of the few teams that's really going to be trying to get better maybe that's atlanta too and both those teams may want to be upgrading at the power forward position you know atlanta has john collins maybe they want to play him at center sun too so yeah maybe the more i think about that that might not be you know power forward they might be looking more at the three yeah Yeah. three or combo um but you know danilo gallinari paul Millsap, jeremy grant uh marcus morris i mean there's some names out there that phoenix could really be looking at with 20 million where they're going to be able to outbid people uh for those types of players and johnson really you know is more of a power forward now maybe he could play the three right maybe you can put him in that mix as well he'll he's gonna because they don't have anyone else he's gonna have to be asked to guard some good players on the other teams the rest of the way with Ubre out uh all right take a quick break here we'll get to uh my next one in the east right after this the orlando magic mo bamba He's actually showed some signs this year. His block rate has increased. They haven't been a complete disaster when he's on the floor the way they were last year. And he shot it passably well. Has a higher usage rate than some of these defense-only centers. And, you know, still hasn't played up to the level of of being a number six pick necessarily. But the reason it comes up to me is they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to just get completely housed, especially if they're the eighth seed. They're just going to get completely housed in the first round. And then it may be time for some potential changes. And we talked about Markel Fultz in the 15 and 60. He's one, but Bamba's another one where do they decide all right nick vucevic let's see what we can get from him. he does have this declining contract goes from 26 million next year down to 22 million in 22 23 we've made the note that some of these guys it doesn't get better to trade them if you've made the playoffs two years in a row and you have no path to getting past there you know maybe getting another pick seeing if bomba can be the guy so that'll be a question of whether he can show enough and so obviously it's gonna have to be protecting the rim it'll have we'll see how he plays in the playoffs uh, as well they've got Kem Birch who could come in and play behind Bamba and maybe the thought would be that this is how they can kind of rejigger their roster if they could trade Vucevic just even to open up some space below the tax probably doesn't happen I mean I'm not sure there's a huge market for Vucevic um but you know he'd be a nice offensive fit say in New Orleans with Zion Williamson like he's definitely a really good offensive center with his shooting and passing ability um at this point in time but it might be a contract they want to get off and just feel like hey we got to rejigger this team a little bit but if Bamba doesn't develop then that's not something that they can really think about yeah it's it's a a big series of of decisions for Orlando and we thought they were boxed in they largely are but as you said they can move around and another team that has a lack of flexibility right now is San Antonio now remember they fully guaranteed LaMarcus Aldridge's contract they are subject to the whims of DeMar DeRozan my instinct is pretty heavy that he's going to opt in and so the player for me is Lonnie Walker Walker has shown some real growth this year he's gone from making 33% of his twos to 45% and 45% you still want that to get better but you're seeing that kind of growth getting getting shots in better places is an important part of the Lonnie Walker story but what I'm most interested in for him defense can he can he be a little bit more consistent there and San Antonio has an uh, it's an underappreciated problem maybe that's more from us not talking about enough that they have a lot of guys who are better with the ball in their hands and that is you know DeRozan is is a centerpiece there but really you know yeah 
I Murray, like White, White, Walker. I mean, all those, all four of those guys are somewhat redundant. And so Walker, one of the things he can prove over the course of this year is, A, can he function better without the ball than some of the other's options? And can he be good enough with the ball in his hands, whether it's primary or secondary, to get those opportunities? And so Walker has a lot I think he has a lot of opportunity over the time San Antonio is competing for the playoffs but you know Walker is getting getting minutes for them this year thankfully yeah he is a 42 percent three-point shooter this season but on a mere 69 attempts and not exactly any of the following lot, but I mean man his bounce looks impressive when he can get out there in space and you know, Marco Bellinelli is coming off the books this year. Maybe Patty Mills could be a trade candidate. I, I think at some point here, you know, DeRozan, Aldridge, I mean, all those guys, they could really look to trade those guys this summer if, uh, as appears likely, they are not going to make the playoffs as of now. For New York, this one, I don't spend as much time on again. Alfred Payton has a non-guarantee of $8 million next year. New York, another one of these teams that could be looking to draft a point guard. Uh, Payton, with his lack of shooting, doesn't fit in that well. They have been much better this season when he has played. And he also really, it seems like every year he's missing, you know, 30 games, which is a little bit rough. So if he can stay healthy, you know, Frank Nilakina did has, is coming on a little bit of late and he could easily be in this too he could just say new york point guard would be at dennis smith has been so bad it's hard to see him figuring you you would think that he might be on his third team next season just because it hasn't worked out at all for him but alfred payton still has a scott perry in the front office uh, as a potential defender he does work with leon rose uh, and so uh, i want to see you know, I'm kind of giving up on him growing at all as a shooter, but he's got to earn, see whether he's going to get that $8 million picked up for next year. Cause I don't see him getting that anywhere else necessarily. Right. So yeah, there's, there's a lot in play there for Alfred Payton and also his biggest booster being out of the Knicks front office is, is a challenge there. We tried to focus here on young players, but I wanted to, to include Alex Caruso because even though he's 26, he hasn't been in the league that long. And because the Lakers have high leverage, but they don't really have a ton of guys that really fit this description. And with Caruso, the point guard spot or just guards next to LeBron are very much in flux. And you know, I, I expect that KCP will be back in some form or fashion. Rondo has that player option, but Caruso, if you know, if he can continue to contribute defensively and, and fit in offensively, I mean, I think to me he's been the best of that that niche for the Lakers, and he's under fully guaranteed contract, and that will change the way they use their potentially their taxpayer mid level depending on how they want the one to structure all this stuff so i think he has a lot to prove for a player who is 26 years old yeah and you know i think vogel has a pretty good idea that caruso is better than rondo now but rondo almost certainly is going to be there next year with that player option caruso should be there next year also and the lakers may not have a a ton of team building the free agent point guard class is not amazing but so much depends on whether caruso gives them enough in these playoffs uh, for them to say no we don't need to say trade Kyle Kuzma uh, to try to get an upgrade at the point and you know is he going to close games in the playoffs is he going to play 25 minutes a game in the playoffs is our teams going to not guard him in the playoffs I mean for him it's a little the bar is much higher than you know let's see how he plays the rest of the regular season it's can he make teams play for not guarding him in the playoffs and then can he hold up an individual defense against a team like say the Clippers who are going to target him probably with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard 
he's a very good help defender individually i'm not sure that he can hold up against those type of players for miami they don't really have anyone who's under contract right now who doesn't already have a role casey akpala is just so far out of it i didn't think it made sense to talk about him so Derek jones jr is one he's been starting for them we'll see what happens in the playoffs you imagine iguadala or crowder is probably going to close games over him in the playoffs and he's an unrestricted free agent very young still uh it's funny we have two unrestricted free agents this year christian wood and Derek jones who have uh, you know, are actually going to be, I think, a pretty good demand. You don't see guys that young who are unrestricted agents who have actually been good. Um, so that's the one that I'm going to look for. The three-point shooting is obviously the first thing that comes to mind. How he guards guys on the Celtics if they match up. Pascal Siakam, who he did a really nice job on it in that regular season game early in the year against Toronto. Uh, uh, Giannis, obviously. Ben Simmons. I mean, I think he's a great role man offensively as in rolling to the basket he's looked more comfortable shooting the three don't know if it's going to go in again he's the sort of player with enough weaknesses where you wonder if he's going to survive in the playoffs so that's all that's going to be fascinating to see but uh, i think if he can hit some shots and have a nice playoff run he could set himself up for a payday and uh miami you know we'll see whether he could be back next year because they of course want to preserve that space for the 2021 offseason Landry Shamet to me is another kind of in one of the camps that we talked about of, of he's going to have a role but establishing what that role is the Clippers have a lot of different permutations and combinations that will be available to them I believe that Landry Shamet can be an important piece because of the shooting that he brings and the attention that he has to draw off ball that could fit really well with Kawhi and Paul George's games but he has to hold up defensively and where how he fares in some of these series will be really important I don't think Patrick Beverly's going anywhere I don't think Shamit's going anywhere either, but getting that mix right and potentially even affecting the how Lou Williams fits in and everything else long term, I think he has an important an important influence on where this Clippers roster goes from here. Yeah, and he looked better in that first round loss last year, chasing around Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Uh, now though going against some other teams where his lack of size could be an issue uh, is something to monitor whether reggie jackson gets the minutes uh, instead of him but i think they're still gonna have him you know penciled into at least a rotation release he's so cheap and, and can shoot you know i don't think his situation is in any danger necessarily um and just kind of a question of whether now that they have marcus morris you know it's really kind of more external factors how do those guys play i think they have a pretty good idea of what they have in, in shamit right now he's also he's a little older too but um i mean i see i see why you picked him obviously they also um, don't play really any other young guys yeah uh indiana i don't think there's really anyone uh, for them i mean edmund summer would be the closest one pretty much all everyone else has really established their careers and i don't think sumner is going to get enough time really to prove anything uh yay or nay detroit siku deboya comes to mind for me he's there he does have the advantage of being really their only wing with much size tony snell is really more of a two guard but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with blake griffin are they going to bring go into next season with the idea that griffin is their starting four do they bring back christian wood in that case siku is going to have to really shoot it a lot better to get in the mix for the three i mean i think odds are you know he's going to have a role off the bench next year he's so young too and, and his shooting has really dropped off although he had had shown some flashes but he's going to have every opportunity here uh, and they have so little at that position you know you could see them 
adding any kind of a vet with some size and free agency they have to get better defensively so he's gonna have to prove a lot to not have them bring in a player like that but obviously just his defensive execution concentration and then hitting shots are the big variables for him as we go to this these last uh six weeks of the season things are about to change for the golden state warriors with the imminent return of steph curry but one of the stories of the last month plus is jordan Poole going from being truly awful to being interesting and sometimes actually quite good and he's gotten the opportunity to do more with the ball in his hands the jump shot is falling a little bit more and while I don't think there's any reasonable chance that he's going to be a starter next year fitting a place within the rotation could be really important and also remember the Warriors have been looking for ball handlers and people to basically do anything on offense when Steph Curry is not on the floor almost since Steph Curry was drafted like that's been a problem yeah. you know, going to AC law and the camp base yeah experiment. yeah that's that's an interesting thought I was thinking like hey you know what they got Damian Lee is going to play over him they got Clay already there isn't necessarily a role for him but yeah if he's more of the backup point guard then yeah that I mean that's really and they're giving him the ball more so that's really I think where he's gonna have to shine is prove that he can kind of be that ball handler on the second unit but I mean given what their aspirations are next year I think there's nothing that he can do that's going to prevent them from bringing someone over the top of him if they if they so choose but and it's going to be a similar challenge for Marquise Chris where I think the Warriors intend to have Chris in the rotation and Kevon Looney will have a part to pull to play there as well but yeah that's the more interesting one to me actually because as far as their future decision making of would they feel comfortable going into next season with Looney and Chris and maybe one other just like straight up vet minimum guy or are they going to feel no we got to use the mini mid level or we got to use the trade exception to get like a real center in here um that to me is is a big question how do those guys play with Draymond now that Steph is going to be back they'll they might actually be able to play those guys together Draymond might actually try for a little bit now that Steph is back um I the center to me personally I understand why you pick pool but to me personally the center position is more interesting for them because that's where the bigger decision comes you can always use more perimeter guys fair enough all right another quick break here and uh we'll get to what am i going to do yet next i think i'll do the atlanta hawks next yeah so for atlanta it really is probably more of a competition between cam reddish and deandre hunter the hawks have this 47 million in space the wing despite the fact that they put these draft assets in for these guys the wing is where they can most easily upgrade that's the lowest hanging fruit they got trey at the one herder is probably going to be the two collins and capella are going to be your four and your five almost certainly i mean it's kind of too bad that if they're going to be locked in on collins because power forward is where they could most easily upgrade with a veteran you would think uh but anyway so hunter and reddish reddish is playing better part of that though has been what he's able to do off the dribble and they do need a second guy who can do that that might be herder though so which of those guys looks like the better pure three and d option uh, at the end of the season is will be big because they are i think going to bring in one other guy on the wing for sure who's a vet and so is, are they going to bring in two guys or are they going to bring in one uh, that to me is going to be the biggest question well and beyond that there's a bigger crush in the rotation now that it looks like john collins is playing the four you know like now yeah. there, there are fewer minutes on the forward line than we anticipated because when they loaded up with reddish and deandre hunter it looked like travis link was going the other direction and now there's i mean not only with capella but also with Dwayne Dedman, it's a lot harder to give Collins minutes at the five, and obviously John Collins is going to get minutes. So then those are coming from somebody else, and I don't think they're trading him. I'm going to move to Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson.
Jackson is more in the kind of wancho line where it's pr- try to prove that you're worthy of time for your current team or another one, another extremely young, unrestricted free agent. He doesn't, though, have the same track record of success that some of the other ones do. But Jackson has talent. He was drafted in the high lottery for, for a reason. He has, has some interesting physical tools. So if he can not botch like five spectacularly bad LU passes in the same game and some of the other stuff, I, I think that he could, you know, potentially get a, you know, a, a guaranteed a guaranteed contract maybe of some value and so he has a lot to prove not necessarily to memphis because of the whole justice winslow part of this like they're going to be healthier they're going to have more guys in this rotation but for somebody else and that's that's extremely important as well yeah you know as i think about them it's really such a shame for grayson allen that uh, he's out for the season with this right. hip issue because as desperately as they need shooting he would have had such an opportunity d'anthony melton has got to be in there too he's going to be a restricted free agent it seems like they are pushing towards a 2021 plan in memphis uh, as well uh, with their flexibility and melton has played really well this year at times but hasn't been as good of a shooter and uh it's becoming very clear they need some shooting pretty desperately cleveland Darius Garland, crazy as it is to say with a guy who was drafted number five overall this year, but he's got to show a little bit more because this is such a point guard heavy draft. The odds are that Cleveland hilariously is going to be in position to draft another point guard. And now are you going to draft one and say, now we have three point guards on the roster and maybe they could go, you know, the Killian Hayes type of route get someone who's got a little bit more size who could also plausibly play the two but even then you know one of Sexton or Garland is gonna uh, get ace out and as bad as Sexton was for most of his rookie year he at least showed some flashes down the end and we haven't even seen that yet from Garland and now he's out with this groin injury as well hopefully that won't be a long-term absence but it seems pretty likely to me that they're gonna draft either a one or a two uh, and they've also you know got all these guys in the front court and there isn't really a great prospect at the three which of course is what they desperately need and so if they draft a one or a two garland could very easily be the odd man out and i mean he honestly though he'd have to have a hell of a showing for me at least if i am the Cavs, they may be more concerned about the optics than me but if i'm the Cavs, i'm going to just go ahead and draft over the top of him he hasn't shown enough to me we also have evidence that kobe altman is willing to take the best prospect available in respect of a position because that's what he did with Darius Garland. and <laughs> so it, it, i i think that's totally plausible and if especially in a draft that is not super highly regarded if you think that a player at that position is the best value then go after that especially because it's not like the Cavs are going to be particularly good next year i'm going to jump to the pelicans and jackson hayes i i wish Nikhil alexander walker uh, was getting a consistent enough opportunity you, you know to- I, I saw you put down hayes I don't think he's going to get enough of an opportunity to do anything either. He might not either, but at the same point, I, I think that he has, there's more in flux in their front court rotation. And maybe, you know, we don't know if they're bringing back Derek Favors. We don't know if Derek Favors wants to come back, you know, all those sorts of, uh, what, what are they prioritizing in terms of cap space? Spend, when do they want to spend? And so if Jackson Hayes can be a player that David Griffin and company are comfortable with, then maybe they feel okay spending less on the center position, being a little bit more flexible financially financially moving forward so i i don't know that hayes is going to play enough but i think that he you know there there's an, an important evaluation period here that probably potentially includes practices as well yeah particularly his shooting because it, right. a, a lot of this to me is and that's why i hated the pick not even that i hated the prospect although you know any center in the top 10 who doesn't project as a superstar i wonder about a little bit in this day and age but just because of the the issues that we've seen with Zion, where number one we were saying we wanted him to play small ball center 
but if not, we needed someone who can shoot. And Hayes, I do think maybe has some underrated shooting potential. Uh, we did see him shoot from the outside more in summer league, but he's certainly not going to have a chance to do that in any any of these games at all. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's no chance they go in with the next season with him as the starter, but I do see what you're saying about him being uh, the backup. For me, Josh Hart uh, would be the guy. Yeah. Uh, as well i i I mean you know i guess he's gonna have a role regardless you know he's had a role that's what i was that's what i was thinking for Hart. i think i and i think that Hart's role is less dependent on how he does the rest of this year and more dependent on what circumstances dictate so that's why i didn't think of him as much like i think there's more there's more for jackson hayes yeah and Nikhil alexander walker again probably not just not going to get the opportunity this year Chicago, it's Kobe White, very similar logic to Darius Garland. Now, Chicago doesn't have as much in the long term at the guard position. Uh, but White, you, you know, can he, I mean, he's not even starting yet. I've been advocating for them to start him, especially once Otto Porter comes back, or at least get some minutes with Levine, White, and Porter all out there and see how White can look in a little bit more of a distributor role. Their offense has been so challenged this year that he's just kind of had to shoot it every time he touches it. Um He's had mixed results uh, on that. It looked better lately. So can he do enough to prevent a potential point guard getting drafted over the top of him, depending on where the Bulls uh, are selecting? And, you know, I think it's going to just come down to, can he show a little bit more in terms of traditional point guard skills if he gets... uh, to play in a unit with Markinen and Porter, which is, you know, uh, uh, Wendell Carter could actually resemble a real NBA offense with the amount of size and shooting that they need. And, and he's also got the opportunity here because, uh, Chris Dunn is just ruled out for the season. We don't have to spend a ton of time talking about Harry Giles because we just did on the last time we covered the Kings for the West 15 and 60. He's more in line to me with Josh Jackson, where... Well, well can, can we... I mean, Marvin Bagley is the one, right? If he plays. Yeah, yeah. if he plays. I mean, that's... I yeah. my, I didn't include Bagley because I don't think he's going to... Yeah, you, I, I think you're probably right about that. But if he does play, I mean, he's really... like Absolutely. Because if he doesn't show a lot more promise, I think if you're smart, you know, again, this is... The optics may prevent this, but you kind of got to just look at him as a bench scorer and not be building your team around him anymore. But there's also the opportunity issue for Sacramento. Like, are they, especially when they looks like they're going to re-sign Bogdanovich, you know, like what, what decisions are actually going to need to be made in the Bagley space? Whereas with, with Giles, like he can establish himself for, for the Kings or somebody else, but it's not, we're getting, we're getting into the very slim pickings in the West because some of these teams just don't rely a lot on young guys. And the Kings actually, incidentally, yeah, De'Aaron Fox is so well established they don't really have a lot in the in other young guys that's really questionable that's that's moving around yeah and that's why uh you don't feel that great about the rebuild and it, granted it was the number 14 pick last year but even to have like one more young guy in the pipeline and, and it was so recently that they had what like eight guys on this team who are on rookie contracts and now really bagley and fox are the only ones uh, that you're thinking about uh, in this group charlotte went with uh Jalen McDaniels. This has been the Jalen McDaniels podcast the three of the last four days. But to me, he's going to have plenty of time. He's been playing like 25 minutes a game off the bench. We talked about him a, a little bit, but the shooting and really the biggest thing for him is just going to be grasping concepts defensively, having the game slow down for him a little bit defensively. I mean, you can see just the gears turning in his head on any defensive possession. And that's uh, to get to the point where he's just a little bit more natural with 2.9 can be impactful as a help defender, understand when he has to close out to guys, when he can crash into the paint. That's what I mean, most watching for him. I think offensively, he's shown enough promise that if he can just continue what he's doing, you know, he's 
at least earned an off the bench role with his offense uh if you're only looking at that it's just the defense and whether he can avoid making mistakes look more comfortable that uh, i'll be watching most closely for yeah that that's going to be important and charlotte has they have minutes and a role to offer next year to guys that that take to take the reins i mean no matter what they do this summer they're going to have some some depth issues and so Jalen mcdaniels could be an important part of that in portland my first thought had been nasir little but gary trent like gary trent's kind of less sexy because i think that it's a little bit more established though he's had a had a nice year in some respects but also because you know neil o'shea i don't think that what his priority in the offseason is going to be really going after bench guards i think simons and and trent are going to get those opportunities kind of irrespective of where other things go so i don't think we need to talk about them too much yeah trends i want to dive into a little bit more uh especially defensively we got a number of questions uh, on him already for the 15 and 60 on sunday so we can talk yeah. more about him then brooklyn doesn't really have anyone i think uh, Everybody, Kurek's played a little bit in that Boston game because they're so, so shorthanded. But considering their aspirations, considering that KD is coming back at his position, that they have a lot of guys at that position, there's no way that they're going to not sign or trade for or whatever another defensive wing based on Kurek. That's not really his skill set to be a lockdown 3D guy. And then guys like Pinson and Nick Claxton. I mean, they're, they're just not important enough. Zanin Musa. I mean, I, there's. There's no way that Brooklyn is going into next year relying on those guys in a rotation role. Like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, I'll just do two pretty quickly. Hamdu Diallo and Tony Bradley, both players I expect to be on their respective playoff teams next yeah. year. What, what about uh, what about Lou Dort for uh, yeah. for OKC? I mean, he's playing over Diallo now, isn't he? He's starting. He's on a two-way, but they'll presumably sign him before the end of the yeah, regular I, season. I think they'll sign him before the end of the Yeah, pro- probably the last day, frankly, with their, uh, their tax issue issues but yeah uh, it, yeah Dort, Dort's a good pick I I, I I think because he's a two-way player and he's not in parts of my XL I didn't think about him but yeah that, that's a good call I like that and then Tony Bradley I mean potentially the backup center for the Jazz next year remember they have guaranteed money owed both to Tony Bradley and to Ed Davis for next year yeah and it it seems like they're going to give him every opportunity they already have and really, for him, it's going to be in the playoffs uh, of what uh, whether he can do that. And George Yang, you can throw him into that group, too, uh, of whether they feel like they need an upgrade at backup power forward. They felt like they did this summer, and then they ended up waving Jeff Green, and now the minivan has a rotation role, but he's cooled off a little bit of late. We'll see whether he can hold up defensively in the playoffs uh, or not uh, as uh, that backup power forward. And then uh, I'll finish out. Romeo Langford for Boston, he's getting a chance the shooting though has got to come around I, I mentioned that i thought his help defense he made some impressive plays when i locked in on a couple of weeks ago but really just uh, with this team when they've got five other offensive options who are gonna be well ahead of him in the pecking order at a given time he's just got to shoot well enough he's gonna he's probably gonna get some run in the playoffs brad stevens is gonna give him a chance uh, but the question will just be whether they feel like they need another three and d type of wing going into next year i mean odds are they probably will try to get that guy but they're also going to be limited in in terms of how much they can spend especially now since jason tatum is going to get that no-brainer max extension that'll kick in for the 21-22 season right and that gives boston a lot less flexibility they will have the memphis pick and a few other things but yeah i I, langford is going to get that opportunity so i think that's interesting yeah so this was fun i i there are a lot of these guys who really have a lot riding it this is i kind of like actually locking in on games again after the all-star break because teams are still kind of trying most of them but you see some more of these young guys getting sprinkled in teams have traded guys away guys have been bought out 
And so this is kind of the two weeks where you get to see these guys against real competition before, you know, half the games become completely unwatchable. Boy, you know, the NBA, people would just love it more if the people who commentated out didn't like shit on the product all the time, right? (laughs) We need fewer games. I love basketball. I just want teams to be able to try their hardest at at all times. Um, All right. So, uh... Not sure if uh, Mavs Pels is good. We'll we'll have something on it. Maybe talk for 10 minutes about that after we do the cast. But if not, uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow for awards. Got a lot of our research done here and uh, got a lot more to do right after we hang up. So we'll talk to you all in less than three seconds or tomorrow. So we are going to do something on Pell's Mavs because it was awesome. Nicolo Melli hitting a ridiculous corner three-pointer to tie it with under 10 seconds remaining, send it into overtime. But Luka Doncic with some clutch heroics at the end, huge step back three in overtime over Derek Favors. Um, and we don't need to talk about the play-by-play. That's what the NBA cast is for. It's uh, what we just did. But uh, Danny, in studio here, oh, he's saw. Always great to have you. What's uh, what's your main takeaway from this one? We haven't seen too many games where Zion Williamson has really struggled with a team's collective length, but I do think that happened overall. You know, he still worked his way to 21 points on, I believe, 20 shooting possessions. So, you know, not, not a, a horribly efficient night by most normal human standards. But the combination of Kristaps Porzingis, Moxie Kleba, and a few other guys did make life a little bit harder on him. And then that required some superhuman three-point shooting from Lonzo Ball for the second game in a row. Seven for 11 from three for him. Brandon Ingram hit a few big ones as well. Frank Jackson was three of five after starting three of three overall. And so that helped keep New Orleans offensive afloat. And that's why, you know, Kristaps Porzingis was a big part of the story here defensively, that he was impacting New Orleans shots all around the basket. New Orleans finished the game 18 of 34 in the restricted area. That is an amount of attempts that you can be happy with, but that's a lot of misses around that area. And it's not like the Pels were getting to the free throw line. They only took 11 free throws in an overtime game. Yeah, Porzingis had five blocks in the first half. He slowed down a little bit. Maxi Kleba also did about as well as you can on Zion, considering if, unless you're just like an absolute physical freak one-on-one. I think what we're seeing, though, is really the teams that can bother Zion are the teams that have that big center who can come over and help. Whereas when he's actually been matched up against that big center, he's able to beat him with the quickness advantage, get around him, get the angle on him, get his chest into him. But when he's kind of doing that to his own man, even if that guy is a little smaller and you can bring over a Porzingis or a Brooke Lopez or a Dwight Howard or an Anthony Davis, that's where you can cause trouble. And his only games that he's had where he has been under, I guess he finished at 9 of 18 in the end, but you know, basically was under 50% shooting for most of the game, uh, have been the... Dallas, the Lakers, and the Bucks, and coincidentally, those are teams with big centers and also, you know, pretty good help principles. And so I, I think, you know, Zion again, he's got to add to his game a little bit. He's been unbelievable, and it's tough for him because, I mean, I won't say he's a one-trick pony because you know he's got a lot of spin moves, he's got moves, but basically just attacking really hard, overwhelming the guy who's guarding him and scoring works for him in 95% of all cases, but he hasn't really shown a great plan B yet. He had some nice passes at times in the second, but uh, they really went away from him down the end. They didn't think he was successful enough to just keep doing the post-ups to him, and instead it was uh, Brandon Ingram uh, for most of clutch time, and him falling out was obviously a massive problem at the end. 
Well, and what compounds the issue is that Zion is not nearly good enough defensively to function as the five, and so that that puts Derek Favors on the floor, and with Favors on the floor, then that big, in this case, Kristaps Porzingis, is going to be nearby. Yes, Derek Favors attempted a clutch corner three in this game, but a clutch corner three-point shooter, he is not. And so that makes it harder, and that's, you know, we've talked about a few times in, in recent weeks as we've been watching, figuring out what do you put next to Zion, and that unicorn three-point shooter rim protector as of right now and Zion's game is going to change a lot over the next three to four years but right now that's the leader in the clubhouse and on the Maverick side of it in the early going you had Seth Curry absolutely molten from three it was four of four early on including a couple just disastrous defensive plays by the Pels but then Luca in a lot of the game it looked like he was a little bit shaky you know dealing with his ankle stuff Lonzo Ball got Luca on the thumb early he had a bunch of turnovers at five turnovers in the early going but then seven points in overtime and didn't get an assist on the the best highlight at least of his of this game where he puts Drew Holiday all all league defender on skates kicks the ball to Kleba in the corner but Kleba misses the three but then Luka gets in the highlight again because he forces the offensive rebound that ends up being a big swing point in overtime yeah and actually I thought Lonzo Ball did a better job containing Luka than Holiday did and, and I think the reason for that is Holiday reaches a lot he got some fouls but Holiday I think a lot of guys see Luka and they think you know slow white guy and the problem is that like when you try and press up on him that's when he beats you right his understanding of momentum is unbelievable and and we saw that on that play where he just broke his ankles in the lane that you referenced where he set up Kleba where you know he'll almost just start you like a yo-yo where he's going forward you go back he backs up you go forward then he goes forward again you go back and then all of a sudden like you're just he'll get you where your momentum is totally going forward and he's going forward as well and you just get blown by and so guys who want to pressure up a lot where they're moving their momentum towards him more often a lot of guys that bothers but his handle is tight enough that he's not going to lose it you're not going to pick his pocket and so when you're pressing up on him he's eventually going to be able to get you at that point where you you're moving forward and he's able to blow by you as you're moving forward where I thought ball played him a little bit more conservatively and he was able to do a little bit better a couple other things I want to make sure to mention Drew Holiday's block at the end of regulation on Moxie Kleba which you could argue helped save the game for the Pelicans was a huge play then Melly made that insane three after the Mavericks correctly used their foul to give to try to try to force the Pelicans to not get the opportunity to tie the game they ended up doing that and then Porzingis couldn't get anything at the end of regulation yeah great job by Brandon Ingram on that play uh, after the Mavs or, or the Pels really denied the ball in bonds to Luka uh, Zion with one of his few good defensive efforts on the ball helped with that they throw it into Porzingis and Porzingis we noted it he wants to go left every single time Ingram wouldn't let him do that and forced him into a tough fadeaway on the baseline but then he was in the same situation in overtime and he reached in and committed the foul that fouled him out of the game which uh, you know that was perhaps the death knell for the Pels. Yeah and a lot of the support players for Dallas I thought did well overall. Tim Hardaway Jr. ended up 5 of 15 from the field but hit some big shots. We already mentioned Seth Curry of course. DeLon Wright hit some big threes. He had three and I believe that was the third quarter where he was. Uh, Beginning of the fourth quarter. Beginning of the fourth quarter he did well. Collie Stein was more of a non-factor, but I think there were elements they could use for him. And 
I'm wondering about how the kind of how the the playoff intensity. The, this was close to a playoff intensity game for these teams that do not have a lot of players who've been through that cauldron before. And one of the other dynamics here was there were some long stretches, both at the end of the fourth quarter and then at the beginning of overtime, where because this was an exceedingly low foul game, where there were just no stoppages and the guys just looked gassed. Yeah, and that, and Zion came in. Then he they had to sit him the first three minutes of overtime uh, to kind of shepherd him through his minutes limit on this his first back-to-back he's ever played yeah, we thought he wasn't going to play back-to-backs this entire season and now yeah. he is yeah and you know supposedly the training staff aaron nelson uh, is monitoring him very closely um jorian finney smith had to leave this game with a hip issue unclear how long it's that uh, he might be out but that was a problem uh for the Mavs. they couldn't really guard ingram very well after that it had to be tim hardaway he was uh just too small to do that as ingram had 27 points and, and hit some pretty big shots late as well um something yeah. else i wanted to mention is another part of the carlisle game plan that i thought was was good was doing more to slow down those zion post-ups and that was sometimes sending a second person having enough guys back having big guys back so it wasn't zion posting up some six foot two guy. yeah well especially on those deep transition post-ups he likes to get right. i don't know whether that's carlisle but you know porzingis Callie Stein, those guys did a great job of making sure that they sprinted back on those to block the shot and, from behind. And another another factor in that was New Orleans, I don't think, did a good enough job hustling forward to give Zion outs when the, sh- when the yeah. original shot wasn't there. Yeah, a couple of other notes here. Uh, Porzingis, a lot of times he was getting the switch, and uh, even when he was playing with Callie Stein so many times, he would try and like post up at the nail. And yeah, he, he had it going a little bit on these post-ups in the mid-range perhaps more than than normal but you know it was like Luka Doncic being guarded by Derek Favors and Porzingis being guarded by Drew Holiday and Porzingis is trying to post up and taking up any space that Doncic could use to attack Doncic has the advantage matchup Porzingis needs to realize that and he needs to pop out to three and space the floor especially if he's on the floor with a non-shooting center uh like Cauley Stein uh but that said, I think Porzingis, it was more in the first half. I think he wore down a little bit. He ended up playing 45 minutes in this game. But he looked so spry. He was coming across the lane for big shot blocks. He was closing out on guys. Like He looked just moving around on the floor uh, as good as I've seen him look since the injury. Right, and that combination of size and movement when it's going well for Porzingis is really impactful on both ends of the floor, but especially on the defense end where I thought he made a big difference here. Derek Favors, his pick-and-roll defense was awesome yes. in this game. Uh, I mean, there are just so many times they had run a pick-and-roll. He wasn't quite in just a straight-up drop coverage. He was sort of in like a half drop, but he still was able to avoid uh, the pass getting behind him. I do think that Luka Doncic, I, I got a little bit more of an insight into the whole, oh, Doncic and Porzingis can't play together thing because, uh, and one of the commentators on the NBA cast noted this, there's a lot of times when Porzingis would be open for a pick-and-pop and it's like that's just too easy of a pass for Luca. He he like doesn't want to throw it, even though you can get Porzingis a good shooter or a wide open three. Um, you know, and then the other Mavs players when they would run pick and pop with Porzingis, they you know it's Curry, Hardaway. Those guys actually did a better job of finding him on the pick and pop when he was wide open. Yeah, Curry had a couple Donchich. nice finds. Yeah. Um, they tried to play Kid Gilchrist two minutes, but they did him a disservice because I think all of those two minutes were with Cauley Stein at the same time. I want to see, especially with Finney Smith out, I thought this would have been a chance and, and Brendan Ingram cooking for them to go with kind of what we thought they signed Kid Gilchrist for, right? He could play with either Kleba or Porzingis, and he could be the role man on offense and then guard a Brandon Ingram on defense. We didn't see him used in that role at all. 
Carlisle had uh, been starting basically Finney Smith at the four, but uh, went with Kleba instead to guard Zion. That really worked out well. I thought Kleba, again, did uh, as good a job as you can do without just being like an absolute physical freak. Agreed. Another part of this with Jalen Brunson out with that labrum issue, I worried about how the offense was going to be when Luka was off the four. Luka, as well as he played, Mavericks were outscored by five points when he was on the floor in a game they won by four. Yeah, the Mavericks bench. That, uh, that Seth Curry run in the first in the first quarter in the beginning of the second was gargantuan. Yeah, Pels, uh, I think, missed J.J. Redick a, a little bit here uh, as well. Um, and, you know, they've now lost two straight. They've got four more tough games, and then they finally get into the soft underbelly of their schedule the last 15 or so. But uh, they're going to need to win at least a few of these to stay in it. Memphis uh, has totally turned it i thought they were just in big time trouble they go home and kill the lakers and then they kill the hawks on the road and then they kill the nets on the road which i mean even if they were playing a little bit better just being on the road against anybody you're probably you know at best a a toss-up in terms of being favored and you know the nets obviously were coming off that crazy overtime game yesterday but uh and they shot you know seven to 39 from three in the competitive portion of the game and but memphis was able to get some more shooting tyus jones was awesome so memphis riding the ship a little bit a couple of losses here for the pels and obviously portland got dame lillard back they won tonight pretty easily um that's going to be big for them uh so this uh is looking like the pels are in commanding position that minnesota loss really really hurt them and memphis is now improbably won three straight in blowout fashion yeah it'll be it'll be quite the race to see who gets their ass kicked by the lakers in the first round <laughs> uh i mean i think they could take like a game for like whoever, whoever it is um, especially if it's the Pels. I think the Pels are a little bit better overall than, than Memphis is. But yeah, we will be back tomorrow. Going to do our awards for Thursday night. And uh, don't forget also, if you got some questions for the 15 and 60, we're tweeting that out. Just respond to that tweet. And uh, we'll be doing Western Conference uh, this week. And uh, we I think we promoted some stuff at the start of this, which was like 10 hours when we recorded that. So uh, I think we can sign off here and we'll talk to you tomorrow night. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.